chapter 7, verse 14, and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He will rule over us, and he will be called Wonderful Advisor and Mighty God. He will also be called Father who lives forever, a prince who brings peace. There will be no limit to how great his authority is. The peace he brings will never end, and he will rule on David's throne and over his kingdom. He will make the kingdom strong and secure. He will rule. His rule will be based on what is fair and right. It will last forever. The Lord's great love, he will make sure that happens. He rules over all. Okay, let me just find where I'm at with that. Long as it still exists in my Bible, because sometimes I'm pretty sure books just disappear right when you need them. I'm convinced of it. All right, before we dive in and get started, I just want to open this up in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for today and for this time that we have to to just gather together and to refocus on what Christmas means, Lord. And in this crazy and hectic year, thank you that no matter what, this season is still around and that this is still a season for us to just reconnect and kind of reset and get back to where we need to be, Lord, and kind of focus back on what the important thing is, which is you, Lord, and our, our relationship with you and the fact that you came down to save us. Lord, I ask that you speak through me during this message. Just get me out of the way. Lord, and just open up all of our hearts and ears to what you have to say today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I have a confession to make. When I was a teen, and Chase can confirm this, I was addicted to Converse All-Stars. Yes, with shoes. I am a girl after all. Stereotypically, we like shoes. And those were my shoes of choice. And I would fondly refer to them as Chucks, so throughout this little bit you'll be hearing me say Chucks. I'm just talking about the Converse All-Star shoes. And at one point, I had quite a collection going. And I would love to say this was all of them. I think there's like 10 pairs up there. But I am certain that I had more Chucks in the back of my closet behind all the rest of my shoes. Because that wasn't just all of my shoes there. And my parents were not very thrilled about that. But it happened. But it's, it's okay, I was thrifty. My parents wouldn't spend, you know, $50 on new shoes. And so I got really good at scouring thrift stores to find shoes my size. And it didn't matter the color, as you can tell, the style, or even like the fabric or anything like that. As long as they were chucks and they were my size, they were in my pocket. And as an author's kid, I get my parents' discount. So that just made it 10 times worse for them. Because it's like, well, Mom, I get, like, this much percent off because I'm your daughter. And you just, just let it happen, Mom. It's fine. <laughs> Don't look at your pocketbook. It's okay. It could be $50, but they're only 5 <laughs> And I think out of all those shoes, I maybe paid, I say me. It wasn't me who paid full price, let's be honest. I think my family, my parents paid full price for one of them, which is the knee-high ones, which I begged my parents for for years because I thought they were the coolest thing. And they bought them for me, and I maybe wore them five times because I had no idea how to wear them. <laughs> but I loved Chucks. They were my shoes. And I still, out of all the sneakers in the world, 
if I get a chance to wear them, will gravitate towards my chucks. And with all of those shoes, you would figure that I would wear one every day of the week. I have options. I could do it. But no, I wore the same pair over and over and over again until the sole basically disappeared. And then I would keep wearing them until my parents commented on how ratty they are enough times where I just got sick of it. So then I said, you know what, fine, I'll move on to the next pair. And I would take those off, put them in the closet, notice I don't throw them away, <laughs> and move on to the next pair, just to repeat that cycle over and over and over again, which is why I don't have a lot of chucks left. And it went that way with almost every single pair of shoes that I had. And most of those shoes that you see up there have now either ended up in a donation bin, like the knee-high ones did, or ended up in the trash, much to my parents' joy. <laughs> but I have two pairs, of two pairs of chucks left in that time. One of them are the ones with the bright orange shoelaces, which I still have, and I don't really know why I still have them. They're not my style anymore. But my mind says, oh, just keep them. It's fine. <laughs> the other pair that I still have are the ones right next to it, the purple ones. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Today's been a morning. It's been a really forgetful morning, as you could probably tell when I came up here without my tunic on, because I forgot. But I also had this great, great plan. At some point before I came up to preach, I was going to go behind. I was going to slip on my purple chucks and come out and have like this big review. I'm like, and these are my shoes. And then I got to the core today, and I left my chucks at home. So <laughs> it's one of those mornings. But they were my favorites, which is why I still have them. They are my favorite style. I love the high tops. They are my favorite color. They were my favorite fabric, because sometimes Converse go outside the canvas, and it just looks weird. But they were canvas, and they were perfect. And at one point, Teenage Belle had written a simple word on them. And I don't know why I did it. Well, I kind of do. But I was one of those, during that time, it was when it was really popular to write on your Converse and draw on them. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it oddly enough, considering how much I destroyed them, but I, I just could not write on my Converse. But this one pair, in the middle of class or school or something, I decided to write the word hope on them. And it became a thing where I would wear those shoes when I needed just a little bit more hope. And because I didn't want to destroy those shoes, I would save them for those special days where I needed just a little bit more oomph to get through the day. Just a little bit more joy. Because when I would look at those shoes and see them on my feet, I would think, I can do it. I'm in my purple chucks. Everything's going to be fine. Those are my shoes that I wore when I needed hope. I would also save those shoes for days where I was feeling exceptionally hopeful and joyful. On my best days where I just wanted everything to go right. I would put my purple chucks on and I would walk out the door. And not everything always went right. But my mind was set. And my mind was hopeful for a good day. Those shoes became my special shoes, which is why they didn't get worn out, and which is why I didn't wear them religiously, because they were, they were for something. I had to hold on to them. I was holding on to these shoes that, at the time, represented hope for me. And I know it's silly, but after all these years, when I see these shoes, I still think of hope. When I see these shoes, I still think of holding on to something greater than what I already have. 
which is why I really wanted to wear them and say, I still have them. Look, there's hope right there. So I just want you to picture, you know, a slightly old pair of shoes that say hope. Just keep that image in your brain the rest of the sermon. They're there. You can't see it, but I promise they still exist. Trace, do they still exist in my closet? I still hold on to hope. <laughs> For 700 years, the Israelites had a hold on to hope, awaiting a promise made by God about a Savior coming to rescue them. Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. 700 years between a promise made and a promise fulfilled. 700 years of waiting for the Savior to come. Seven, or, you know, about 700 years of challenges, trials, persecution, and wandering from God time and time again. That's a really long time to wait for something. I don't like waiting like five minutes. That's a long time to hold on to hope. But... That is approximately how long the people of Israel had to wait for God to fulfill this promise. Long before Christ came to earth the first time, God made a promise to Israel, and ultimately through that promise the whole world, that a Savior would come and redeem us all. A Savior born from the most miraculous of situations. Born from an ordinary woman in an ordinary place during a pretty ordinary time but born in impossible circumstances and raised to do what God alone made possible. Isaiah 9, 6-7 goes further into the promise, saying, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's a pretty big promise made. A really big promise made. One that is only and was only fulfillable by God lining everything up perfectly by God setting everything up. That promise sets people of Israel up for a lot of hope. That promise required them a really long time to hold on to that hope. For 700 years, the people of Israel had to hold on to this hope of a savior, of a Messiah, of rescue. They had to hold on to hope, praying and waiting for the day the savior was born. And of those 700 years, the Israelites spent about 400 of them living with no word from God about what was going on. The time between the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, is known either as the intertestamental period. I have to slow down and say that word. That's a big word. That is like a $10 word. Or as the 400 years of silence. During this time, God was not communicating with Israel through his prophets, or as far as we know, through any means, really, besides scripture. Israel, who had become so accustomed to God speaking through his prophets, so accustomed to hearing God's message in some form, now had to wait in what must, must 
first had been a deafening silence. For years, the Israelites had spent... My goodness, I am sorry. It is, again, it's one of those days. For years, the Israelite people had been hearing warnings of destruction and a promise of redemption, only to have it stop, assumedly, pretty abruptly. Communication stopped, but they were still expected to hold on to hope. During that 400 years, the nation could have spent their time in the word of God, could have spent their time working on their tendency to wander from God, working on their loyalty to him, their relationship with him. They could have spent that time preparing for when the Savior came. History books tell us, though, that that wasn't necessarily what happened. Instead, wars were fought. Israel was conquered over and over again. Outside forces defiled the temple, and politics split the nation. Religious leaders came and split, and voices got from one side were loud and voices from the other side were loud. Pharisees, a group of leaders, were ultra-conservative, developing religious laws to the point where concerns of the people no longer mattered. And on the other side of the same coin, the Sadducees were extremely liberal and believed that though religion was important, it had no part in governing nations. These two extreme sides of the same coin became the voices the Israelites heard for the majority of the time. In the silence, that's what they heard. If they weren't careful, and unfortunately many weren't, it's so easy to give into those voices and just fall off. You forget what you're holding on to hope for. I can't imagine how, how hard it must have been for them with all those outside forces, with all the outside influences, with the, the pagan beliefs and other religions are all around them, how hard it was for them to hold on to hope of the coming Messiah. But can you just take a minute and imagine the joy those who held on to hope must have felt as John the Baptist began speaking in the desert? Finally, a prophet had come. Finally, for what must have felt like forever, God was speaking to the nation again. Finally, with the birth of Christ, the Messiah had come. What joy. What excitement. 700 years after the initial prophecy, Luke 2.11 tells us that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The promised Messiah had come through a virgin birth, just as Isaiah prophesied all those years ago. He came from the promised bloodline, and as he grew older, experienced and fulfilled more prophecies that were made during the Old Testament. The Messiah the Israelites so urgently waited for had come, and many found their hope fulfilled in him. But sadly, many more are still holding on to that hope, waiting for a Messiah that had already come. Those who are still waiting to this day have not experienced the joy of hope fulfilled. They have not experienced the salvation and love of the Savior, of our Messiah. They're stuck, waiting for something that has already come to pass. But we who believe, we who have been saved, have a new hope to hold on to. A hope of the return of Christ of being able to physically walk alongside our Savior and God. Hebrews 9, 28 tells us, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And John 14, 3 records Jesus saying, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That is the promise we hold on to hopefully now today. The promise of going home with Christ. What a sweet, sweet promise that is. To walk with Christ. To talk in person. Seeing the face of our Savior with Christ. To be in a place of no suffering or hurt. To be as God originally planned us to be. In forever fellowship with him. That is our hope today. And as believers, that is our future. That is a promised future God has given us. If we just believe. We must hold on to this truth even when things get hard. We must stay connected to the creator of this truth even when he seems quiet. Many of us may feel like we're in a place of silence. We may feel like God has stopped talking and has left us to our own devices. It's an easy trap to fall into, especially with the way the world is today. With all that's gone on this year, with the fire, the riots, the political messes, the pandemic, and just anything else you may be even having going in your personal life, it may feel like God has just said, you know, peace out, I'll see you guys later. I'll come back when, you know, it's convenient for me. It's been a hard year. I think all of us can agree, and if you don't agree, God bless you. Can I trade some of that energy, please? Because it's been hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean God isn't here. It doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. During the 400 years of silence the Israelites faced, God may not have been speaking through his prophets, but he was still working. He was preparing the way for Christ to come. He was working behind the scenes, setting everything up to be just right, so that when Christ was born, his prophecies would be fulfilled. During those years of silence, God was doing what God could only do. Only what God could do. He was working behind the scenes. He was setting things up. And though the Israelites may have felt forsaken at times or forgotten, God was looking over them, watching over them, preparing to shower them in a great, great love, preparing to fulfill the hopes they held on to. He may have been silent, but he wasn't absent. And today, though to some God may seem silent, he isn't absent. He's still working behind the scenes. He's still putting his plans into motion. He is still working on the promise of Christ's return. Hold on to that hope. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what Satan throws at you, hold on to the hope that Christ is still with us. We have not been abandoned. We will never be abandoned. Even if we walk away from him, he is still there for us. Even when we say forget it, God is still there. The only thing God will forget is our sins if he asks him to. He won't forget you. He won't forget our suffering. He won't forget 
the woes of your heart because the woes of your heart are the woes of his heart. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to that truth. And as we enter into this Christmas season, take joy in the fact that no matter what, Christ cannot be taken from us. Christmas still exists. Easter still exists because God still exists and will always exist. That brings me a lot more hope and a lot more joy than some silly purple chucks ever could. He is there. He is with us. He's listening. He's seeing. He's hearing. He is knowing. And if we choose to listen, he is still speaking as well. Hold on to this hope. Cling to it tightly. Christ is coming back. The promise of eternity with God will be fulfilled. No matter what goes on in this world, nothing can stop that promise from being fulfilled. Nothing can stop God from coming back one day and bringing us home with him. No disease, no political uproar, no fires or earthquakes or anything you can think of can stop God from coming back to take us home. That gives me hope. That gives me joy. That gives me what I need to get through the next day and the next day. Even when I feel like God's been silent. If you feel like you're in a place of silence today, take heart and know that God is know that he hasn't forgotten you he will never forget you and most importantly know that he loves you no matter if the silence you're in is self-inflicted or you feel abandoned he still loves you the silence you may be feeling will be broken Christ will cover you in his love. Just like he did originally 2,000 years ago with the birth of Christ originally. Just like he does each and every day now as we get get to experience fellowship with him to this day because of his death on the cross. He's broken his silence. His death promised that. We just have to talk and we just have to listen. So let's just, let's let's spend some time doing that right now. Let's just spend some time in prayer, and let's spend some time listening. God, just thank you for the promise of your return. And thank you for the fact that we see in Scripture that you keep your promises each and every time. Lord, that it may for us seem like you take forever, God, but you still always keep your promises. Lord, that you, in that 700-year span of that prophecy to Christ's birth, didn't forget Israel. We can know and pull from that example that you won't forget us now. God, that you are with us, that you hear us, that you see us, and that you care so deeply about us, God, that you sent your son as a baby 
to grow up, just to die for us. God, you came to this earth just to die for us because you love us that much that you would take on all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, all of our messed up humanity, God. You would put it on yourself so that one day we can walk into heaven with you and spend eternity with you. God, that is a hope we should all hold on to, that one day we will see you face to face if we believe in you, you will say, well done, and welcome home in, welcome us in, uh, welcome us in. God, thank you for, for the promise of your return, for the love that you show us while we wait, for the hope that you provide while we just encourage others, and for the hope that we get to share, God, of your coming back, that we don't have to keep it to ourselves, that we are encouraged, called to, commanded to tell others about this hope as well. Lord, because this hope is not something we should be able to ever want to hold on to in that sense. <laughs> this is a hope that we want to share, God. We can't stay quiet about it. So as we leave today, help us not to stay quiet about it. Help us to just go out and share the hope you've given us, to share the love you've given us, God. Christmas is a time where people are always reminded that there's something bigger going on. Your name is in the word, Christ. This season is a perfect time for the church to rise up and to share your hope, to share your love. Lord, it's during this season especially that none of us should stay quiet. We should all go and just preach, teach, love, share the hope that you've given us. God, we've all been called to do that. You've called each and every one of us, and you've each given each and every one of us a specific skill on how to do that. But you've told all of us to go out and tell the nations. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you give each and every one of us the strength to do that, the joy to do that, Lord, the courage to do that. Lord, help us spread this hope that you've given us because this world really needs hope right now. This world really needs something to hold on to, and we have what needs to be held on to. Lord, you have shown us that you are the only thing who can get us through these hard times. And you didn't tell us to keep that a secret. You didn't tell us to keep that in these walls. You told us to go out and make disciples, to go out and tell others of the gospel, of the good news, of this hope. Lord, let us go out and share this hope. And let us hold on to this hope as well and treasure it in our hearts. And when we feel that you are silent, speak into our lives and remind us that you're still working no matter what. You're still moving. You're still doing what needs to be done, what you need to do, God, and what you want to do to grow us, to stretch us, to care for us, and to grow and stretch and care for your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it is in your wonderful, amazing, 
awe-inspiring and holy name we pray all of this with. Amen.